Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is Liam and I'm joined by my two co-hosts George. Hello! And Grant. Hello music fans. Each episode one of the hosts or a guest nominates an album they think is flawless and we talk about why they love it, what they love about it and at the end we decide if we agree that it's flawless. We have a Facebook group, it's called Flawless Friends and Family and we'd love for you to join. Tell us what you think about your favourite albums and your favourite episodes of Flawless. You can find us at facebook.com slash group slash Flawless Friends and Family or there's a link in our show notes because that URL is terrible. <laughs> and we also have a Patreon. You can back us from as little as $1 a month. And no matter how much you back us for, you'll get access to our new special bonus to our new special our special bonus episodes. And you can find us at patreon.com slash flawless AMP. And we are proud to announce that we now have a, as of this week we have a new backer. <gasps> yes. So we're now up to three. No, four. Four, four backers. backers. It is oh out goodness. of control. I am four rolling. Backers. You guys should quit your jobs. I'm rolling in the money. It's, <laughs> it is out of no, control. It, just, it does not go anywhere near Liam's budget for <laughs> buying equipment, but yeah. that is fine. Yeah, if we get 50 more followers, I'll almost cover our social media budget. So that's great. <laughs> Woo! Look at that. Yeah. You can tell he works in social media, can't, can't you? <laughs> References that first. Yeah. Well, has a budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so today we have a special guest. Ooh. Would you like Ooh. to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm MJ. I am a musician and a eccentric communications business strategy person. Uh, <laughs> trust me. The more the stories go on, the like harder it is to define. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my music background is. Extensive. I was a music journalist for about six years. I also hosted a radio show a long time ago. Uh, I started in heavy metal, but even what I got really passionately into first was heavy metal. But really, the music that kind of most shaped me was early 90s rave music, which kind of influences a lot of the music that I make today. Um, In the past year, I've made an album, an EP. I'll be making an EP in another two weeks. And I'm doing a George Michael tribute concert at the end of the year in December. So come to that because mm. it's going to be weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. Mic drop, anyone? Yeah. Goodness me. What an intro. So where can people find out about all your musical outputs and exploits, etc.? Good, Good question. question. Uh, don't know. No. <laughs> uh, generally, I'm pretty loud on social media, albeit not necessarily in the conventional music way. But if you chase down MJ O'Neill on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you will be bombarded with information about my various exploits. Awesome. Uh, and if you want to attend the George Michael thing, it's part of a festival called... Oh, man, I can't remember it. Uh, the people putting it on is called Dots and Loops. So if you look up cool. Dots and Loops on Facebook, they'll give you all the details. And they have a podcast of their own. Uh, and they talk about kind of experimental, classical, uh, post-genre music is what they call it. Nice. All the stuff cool. we don't talk about on ours, generally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But stuff we'd love to break into. Cool, that's awesome. So, would you like to tell us what album you are nominating today? I have nominated Slater Kinney's The Hot Rock from 
which is how I how you actually came to be with us today because you were on Twitter and you said I'm going to be here and I'm going to talk about Slater Kinney for a lot and I was like dude would you like to come on a podcast and talk about Slater Kinney and you said yes I was like awesome always I mean even if there wasn't a podcast if you were just like just come into a room and talk about <laughs> Slater Kinney for a while I'd be like let's fucking go yeah. <laughs> um, but I just in retrospect I finished that kind of because it was a, a week long stint on a special Twitter account I finished that and I was like probably could have talked about Slater Kinney a lot more than that Oh, uh, but you know, we live our lives in regret. <laughs> we do. So, the Hot Rock is the fourth studio album by Slater Kinney, who are from America, and it was released on February twenty third, nineteen ninety nine, on Kill Rock Stars. So, obviously, they've got quite a bit of a back catalogue. Even more recently, still releasing albums. What made you pick that particular album? Uh, it was really difficult because uh, obviously, I'm quite obsessed with Slater Kinney. I at one point. And early on in the pandemic, I actually paid five musicians and experts $100 each to write an essay on Slater Kinney uh, because I thought the critical coverage of them was so deficient. Uh, That's really dedicated. So can we go over... Honey... How did you find out? How did about you this find band out? before we go to which yeah. one you chose? How did you discover Slater, 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 Slater Kinney? Yeah, so if you don't mind. Well, it's a thing of like Slater Kinney uh, have quite a legendary reputation and have had mm-hmm. for quite some time. Like, you know, Time Magazine at one point described them as the greatest rock band of the past 25 years. Uh, various accolades have come forward from other kind of journalistic institutions, including like Rolling Stone, etc. Uh, and so it's a thing of they've always existed on the periphery, but, and I, Having been a music journalist for six years, and particularly from like 2008 to 2013, uh, a lot of my bosses and people who'd been there longer than me held them in significant high regard. But I'd never really checked them out. Uh, and then um, about, I don't know, about two years ago, I got really obsessively into just the idea of women yelling over guitars. And I just kind of wanted to <laughs> check out as many variations of that as I could find. I'm going to leave with a new best friend again. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and then I, they're kind of the quintessential example of that. And so I decided to check them out. And when I first checked them out, I actually had no idea how I felt about them. I thought they just sounded really weird. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was something like, it was like, I don't know if I like it or I don't like it. It was just very confronting. And then... I don't know, it was early on in the, again, early on in the pandemic, another thing I did was I paid a bunch of artists. Essentially, I paid a bunch of artists to fill my apartment up with art. And one of the things to do at that time, uh, I commissioned a photographer to take photos of a family church out the back of Bow Desert, a place called Christmas Creek. And on the way there, uh, which is like, you know, an hour and a bit, I decided like, I'll give them another go. And then... It was like the most joyous experience where it was like I listened to this music that was totally alien to me before and then I came back to it like three or four months later and I just loved every single note and every single kind of uh, aspect to it. I would spend turning over in my head endlessly and so I actually spent about a month going through their catalogue, which you don't need to do because even though they've got like nine albums, they're all about half an hour to 45 minutes long. They're an incredibly Mm -hmm. erudite band. But... They were so weird to me, even when I enjoyed them, that I just kind of kept going over every single song and every album a couple of times before I moved on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I got into them. And I ended up buying 
I had never really been into vinyl, but I ended up buying a record player just so I could get all of their stuff on vinyl. Nice. Um, Sweet. And yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. It's funny because it's like I do have this profound affection for punk bands with female vocals, but they're so much weirder than that that they don't actually fit very comfortably next to any of the others, even though they've influenced a lot of the people after that. Mm. Cool. So you didn't get the you you weren't listening to Slater Kinney in 1999. This is post, no, no. This is I, I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening to Slater Kinney in 2018. <laughs> wow. Um, this is a very kind of recent sort Fresh of thing. Love. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting like. Again, this could go on for ages because I could talk about. And that's fine. But, <laughs> You've got time. But um, when I when I transitioned because I'm transgender, when I transitioned. Uh, a lot of my tastes just kind of shifted or died. Like I, the quintessential example I kind of give people is that I used to be really obsessed with Christopher Nolan movies and I would watch them all the time and I could tell everyone about them and all this sort of stuff. And then I tried to watch them probably about six months ago and it just looked ridiculous to me. It was like all of them were made out of cardboard. It just seemed mostly preposterous. And I had been very obsessed for most of my adulthood with this band called Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I still think, you know, tremendous band and stuff. But once I transitioned, I didn't kind of need them anymore. It was like Killing Joke are kind of defined by a omnipresent sense of tension and a kind of singular mindedness of their very repetitive and very tense. It's music for the end of the world, which, you know, has now taken on profound relevance. <laughs> uh, but... Once I kind of transitioned, I didn't really want that single-minded kind of repetitive constant state of anxiety, which was essentially kind of worked as a bit of a metaphor for trying to maintain traditional masculinity when that's not actually your gender. Uh, I wanted kind of plurality and colour and lots of sort of um, layers and lots of sort of expression and lots of emotion and lots of different emotions happening at once. And Slater Kinney, by that metric, are kind of the perfect sort of band for that. It's like they don't have a bassist. They just have two guitars. Those two guitars are tuned uh, down a couple of the steps. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Slipknot and Slater Kinney actually have the same guitar tuning, which I think is just really fascinating. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. um, that is really interesting. And then the drummer and like the drummer is often praised as an integral integral member of the band, uh, and she often doesn't do a conventional backbeat mm-hmm. uh, yeah. until the latest kind of album. And so it's this thing of you have all of these things happening and then the vocals overlay as well. And so it's this huge expression um, and it's hugely emotional and raw and vulnerable in a way that kind of the theatricality of something like Killing Joke and a lot of the heavy metal that I was originally into isn't necessarily. And so it was kind of, that's why... I found them and I got so into them. And also, if we can segue back to the question of why did I choose this album, mm-hmm. um, is because uh, the hot rock is sort of the best example of that plurality of expression that I could think of in their catalogue in mm-hmm. the sense of, you know, the essay that I commissioned on this particular album was all about uh, counterpoint. It was all about the lots and lots of layers of harmony and rhythm playing their own sort of individual lines but then all coming together for this kind of expressive cacophony and while that exists to varying degrees on all of their albums uh it's the most obvious on this one i think because it's one of their quietest 
because all of their other albums are kind of veiled in distortion and layers of kind of punk and pop and all this sort of stuff, whereas this one is comparatively much more stripped back in terms of artifice and effects, but uh, that means that you see the complexity and layers of both emotion and instrumentation uh, much more clearly than the rest. And so this was kind of the perfect album to pick from the Slater-Kinney catalogue. Mm, cool. Because I had read in the, doing the research, because I, I know of Slater-Kinney, but I don't know their entire catalogue, that mm. this was the first one where they... So previously they were more of a punk sound and this one was the one where they sort of... Yeah, it's very interesting. Because it's like... Uh, one of the things that confounded me when I first got into them was that there is this there's various competing narratives about the band. And mm -hmm. some people will say, it's like, well, you know, they never make the same album twice. And then I had another person who was like, oh yeah, all of the albums sound the same except for these two. And so, but, and at the time, cause I, I read obsessively when I get into any kind of band, even just casually, I read all of the reviews, I read all of the interviews and it's the narrative around this record is that it was this huge departure because their previous album, um, Dig Me Out is considered one of their masterpieces. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's very punk and very loud. And this one uh, was considered this huge departure. At one point, it was considered a bit of a sellout maneuver, which I find kind of amusing in <laughs> retrospect. Really? I know, because yeah, it's pretty cool. abstract. It was the first yeah. one that got mm. on the Billboard chart. That's oh, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was 181, but it was, it was also, on the Billboard chart. They jumped, wow. from a, they jumped from a really small independent record label to a slightly less small. Yeah. Independent record yeah. sellouts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was, it's this thing of, but when I first heard it, I was like, just sounds like the other ones. And then now I listen to it and I just go, it sounds completely alien to the other ones. So it's a very mutable album, I mm. think. Uh, it's, but yeah, conventionally, most people uh, hear it as a significant departure and a kind of step apart from the rest of the catalog. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. George, Hello. had you heard of or witnessed or had anything to do with Slater Kinney before this album was nominated? Do you think I, I might I think have? you love them. Nah, <laughs> I think you might be right. And you did a wiggle. Yeah, uh, yeah so of course. So um, my favorite album was called The Doctor, which was from 96. So that was their second album. So that's the one that I go to as my default um, Slater Kinney record. But um, they're all epic. So um, Carrie Brownstein is one of my favorite humans, um, not only for the work with Slater Kinney, but also the work with um, Portlandia, the TV show. So um, from from that perspective, yes, I've definitely heard of Sleater Kinney. And when I was on IRC chat rooms, if you can remember those back in the day, um, <laughs> I was Riot Girl because I loved the Riot Girl movement, which is Sleater Kinney, Bikini Kill, Brattonville, etc. Um, so those sort of bands were part of that. And I was listening, again, to like female, like women shouting over guitars like was like my childhood too so it was basically for me it was like um i was listening to garbage when i was 10 going i almost picked a garbage album as yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah i was really because garbage were like one of my first favorite bands yeah. ever yeah and so i almost picked it but i was like is it for this well i was like <laughs> I was which, which, which garbage album would it have been 
Uh, probably version 2.0. That's, uh, that's on my short list. Yeah, so yeah. I would have thought I would about have like the, and then the other thing is that they've, they've actually reissued it and um, they've changed the, one of the vocal harmonies oh. in the last song. And oh. while most people won't notice, it drives me nuts. I actually have a playlist <laughs> on Spotify where it has all of the songs from the reissue except for the last song and then I take the last song from the greatest hits which was issued before then yeah. so I can hear the original vocal harmony but nice. I got it on vinyl and it was like yes I got it on vinyl because I wanted this since I was like 10 years old I love this album huge thing about kind of growing up as a little queer kid and then uh, it got to the very end and they played the wrong vocal harmony I was like are oh, you fuckers <laughs> oh, again nice. being, being a, a queer redhead who's part Scottish I was very much into garbage so uh, yeah so I, was oh, to I have to tell my Shirley Manson story um so I interviewed Shirley Manson of course uh, you did <laughs> annoyingly probably about like two months before I realized I was trans and it would have just been such a better kind of story if mm-hmm. uh but I it was funny because I was I was working at a medical technology company in, in Sydney like a multi-million dollar company and my friend was driving me home and it was like an hour drive. Uh, but in all, I had to interview Shirley Manson the whole time on speaker with him just shutting up. And uh, and throughout the conversation, she ended up saying, she's like, oh, that's actually a really good observation. I'm going to steal that. Uh, and it's like, it's actually really good talking. Because I'd said to her, I was like, I don't generally interview people anymore because this was 2016. Uh, uh, but when they offered it, I leapt at the chance. Mm. And um, and we had this really lovely conversation where she was like, oh, no, it's it's clear that the time away has done you good because you're way better than all the other interviewers I have. It's like, you should, when you come to the show, you should come and catch up and talk to me. Um, and I would have, but obviously they're like an arena fucking band, so there's yeah. no easy way to just be like, hey, it's me. Mm, it's me. In the, <laughs> yeah. Up to the left. Shirley said hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you're saying a security guard. Shirley definitely said I should come down and talk to her, so you see, can let me through. See, I made that mistake in like 2008 when I was like 19 as a music journalist where a band was like, you should definitely come to us. And I came when I was like, he said I should come back. And he's like, yeah, they'll be out. And I was like, okay, cool. That's not a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was this thing where it's like Shirley Manson said I was cool and wanted to steal my observations oh. on kind of things like that and, awesome. and pretty much like two months later i realized that i'd essentially wanted to be shirley manson my entire life yeah that's amazing <laughs> i well, know but i didn't get to tell her which really bums me out um well they gave me the word queer which meant it was so much easier for me to come out yeah I, see I, what was funny is when i i got really into that song and i um i came into the i came from quite a conservative sort of background i grew up in country australia and um my brother was lamenting that someone at his school was queer. Uh, and by lamenting, I mean complaining and being a bigot. And I just came in, having read Enid Blyton and listened to Garbage, I just went, oh, I'm queer, because I was like, I'm a weird kid. Uh, and my mom was like, do you know what that means? Yeah. <laughs> and she told me, and I was like, oh, no. And then, like, several decades later, I'm like, no, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, you read, <laughs> if you read The Famous Five and you associate yourself with George, like, as I do, <laughs> from The Famous Five by Enid Blyton, then you are definitely a queer kid. So I'm just saying, there you go. Awesome. So there you go. So Grant, had you heard of Slater Kinney before <laughs> the album was nominated? This is probably the first time in the 60-plus episodes that I've felt grossly out of my depth <laughs> from a music appreciation perspective. And I've I've sort of felt a little bit in the past, but this is, I'm like, you guys are way, way ahead of me in this thing. So no. No. Um, that's part, but that's good because that's you're a fresh, you're a fresh I was fresh, fresh virgin ears, yeah. yes. Wailing, yes. 
guitars, <laughs> complexity, layers, yes, <laughs> all of the above. Um, but no, so no, I hadn't. Cool. Came in How about you, Liam? Um, oh, yeah, didn't we I, just do that? I knew, I well, knew of them. You knew of them, but like um, the whole album and everything. No, so I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard this album. I have. I own their most recent two albums, and then mm-hmm. Michelle and I have gotten. My wife and I have gotten quite into them over the last few years. But I've never gone back and done the back catalogue. But seeing them live when they toured last year, I think it was. I don't know. This Shoot. year is a mess with time. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah don't, didn't know this. This album was completely new to me. I think I'd had heard of the third. I think I'd listened to the third album once because I'd seen so many people talk about it as a landmark one. But yeah. it must have been so long ago that I forgot it completely. So this was still all pretty fresh for me while still being, oh, yeah, I know this is Slater-Kinney sound. Awesome. Which is interesting because you talk about... Um, them being so influential and the critics love them and the, like you, you know lots of other bands love them but they're one of those bands that are everyone cites them as like oh this is an important band these band these this band's really a big deal but there's nobody out there that sounds like them no, no, no that's one, one of the things no, that no I one found. has taken yeah. the oh yeah we're gonna you know not really bold drums but h- drums holding it together two guitars two vocalists intertwined and not just like occasionally but like almost all the songs if not all of them it's like, yeah, it's one of those ones where you're like, why don't more people sound like this if this is everybody's favorite song? And I don't know whether people think, oh, well, we can't steal it directly or the the musical things that come together just haven't worked in that way. But it's, yeah, there's a few bands out there that everyone quotes as being, oh, yeah, this is the band, but nobody really sounds like them. Well, one of the things that I found both interesting and frustrating about Slater Kinney is that many people uh, will, like, the, a lot of the writing around them will kind of, praise them but it won't go into detail about what they're actually doing and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you know one of the things it took me a really long time to actually discover that their guitars were tuned differently to standard tuning and uh even you know because in every single like review of Slater Kinney there's generally some mention of the interlocking guitar parts and Mm -hmm. I was like cool what's the like what is it about their guitar parts that are different to like any other band and make uh, them fill the space where there is usually a bass yeah as yeah, well, yeah because it's hard to do it's hard to mm. hard to fill that space without and obviously doing like down tuning makes perfect sense um and i've seen a few bands like football etc who do the same but like they have um they have a they tune their top three strings as down to the lowest they can but still play all the guitar solos on their upstrings and you're like and so that's how they get away with ha- not having yeah well, it's an interesting thing of like because that was i think what struck me so weirdly when i first listened to them is that i'm generally someone who very much lives in kind of the rhythmic space mm-hmm. uh like all of my my music in particular is incredibly rhythmic and very much focused on drums and bass and all that sort of stuff and again i grew up kind of listening to rave music as a little kid and uh it was just like that kind of standard rhythmic propulsion doesn't exist in this band Mm -hmm. it it turns up occasionally on some of their later stuff uh basically from the woods onward but generally the ways in which rock bands kind of create uh tension and propulsion do not exist because the drummer is not playing uh a standard backbeat uh it's often quite ornamental sort of rhythms and there is no bass line Mm-hmm. Uh, even on the rare occasion, there's a song on The Woods, which is kind of their hard rock album, where it feels like they've dropped this massive bass line and then you have to remind yourself that it's actually just another guitarist. Just but nobody writes about 
this particular sort of thing. It's like, it's incredibly frustrating to me <laughs> as a very nerdy person. And before I came in here, I went looking through the lyrics of this album and kind of going, oh, I wonder, it was like, I know for a fact that uh, Get Up, mm -hmm. uh, it has um, some lyrics uh, that uh, a lot of Slater Kinney fans get tattooed, which okay. is... Um, It was a thing of, I was like, oh, okay, cool. But I never thought about what that album, that song is actually about. And I decided to kind of go digging and there's nothing. <laughs> and it's like, there's a little bit on like the Wikipedia page where it's like, Carrie Brownstein has said something like, oh, it's not like a generic, it's not like necessarily an empowerment song about this. It's an empowerment song about kind of spiritual and physical and all of that sort of stuff all at once and i was like no it's incredibly inspiring carrie but that doesn't really help me <laughs> yeah. it's also got the lyrics my soul is climbing tree trunks swinging on every branch yeah yeah which yeah i thought was really pretty mm. just like a really nice like line to have in there um but then the dual vocals when they they actually come in together to say get up and that's uh, it's very rare that they actually do vocals along like together they do like yeah it was quite it was like stuff. one of the interesting kind of controversies about their most recent album uh which was the center cannot center cannot hold uh was that it is very harmonized and generally only one of them is singing at the time at the time and i there was an interview with carrie brownstein where it was like why'd you do it like why'd you get rid of the thing and it was kind of like oh you know when we first started it felt very powerful to have you know, my voice backing up another voice and then gradually it kind of felt powerful to have, you know, some of us singing in harmony, which happens on the album after this. And then and then I sort of thought it sounded really, really powerful just to let kind of Corinne or myself just sit back and sing completely solo. Because I actually thought about bringing in The Center Cannot Hold because I think that's a really fascinating album, but it's so kind of removed from Slater Kinney's standard sort of stuff in many ways mm. that it just wouldn't have felt representative mm -hmm. uh and so but it's an interesting sort of thing of the power of the harmony this is the first time i think that they did it mm. uh well it's I... noticeable yeah 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 and it's i think it only happens on this song on the call, album yeah and they don't do it in call the doctor or anything like that no 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 like none of the albums before this yeah um it there is more harmony a lot more harmonies on the next one but um but yeah that's i think the only moment on the album where they sing together in unison. Mm. <laughs> so, Slater Kinney were, at the time, Carrie Brownstein and Corinne Tucker on guitars and vocals, and Janet Weiss on drums and occasional backing vocals and also plays the harmonica on a couple of songs, apparently. With, Maybe not on this album. With the violin. With her. Violin by Seth Warren. Violin by Seth Warren, yes. And Roger Moutonneau plays slide guitar on a quarter to three, and it was produced by Roger as well. Yeah. Which is quite unusual because it generally all of them have been produced by the same guy except for okay. this one. Um, this one, The Woods, which was produced by... Oh, brain's gone. Um, nah, it'll come back. Uh, the guy who produces all of the... Dave Friedman, the guy who produces all of the Flaming Lips stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the last one, which was produced by St. Vincent, and many people have since accused the last one of... St. Vincent tyrannically enforcing her sound on the album, which again is 
absurd. Yeah. I don't um, think you can tyrannically can make Salita Kinney do anything. No, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> I get the impression, <laughs> just saying, you know, they, they've not softened that in their old in old age or yeah, yeah, yeah. in their 40s. I think they're even more alert to what they want and what they can demand mm. of themselves and what they sound like. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, so they specifically got this different producer in, uh, Roger Moutinou, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, for those listening, Mountainot. Mountain Tot is how it's, <laughs> it's spelt. Uh, and he, they brought him in because they wanted to make a more textured, soundscape album uh, and were influenced by his work on uh, I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One by Yola Tango, uh, mm-hmm. which came out, I think, 1996. Hmm. Uh, and then I find it really interesting that... Because to me, like, soundscaping music is kind of like, we jam for, like, seven minutes, and it's, like, a whole bunch of stuff. And the fact that all of these songs are still actually very tight songs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes a while to actually realise just how many different textured sort of things they experiment with, because it still feels like a bunch of songs. One of the most interesting things about the album for me uh, is that they said it was heavily influenced by the go-betweens. Oh, really? Uh, which you hear, like, when you hear the violin lines and you hear kind of, like, uh, the song... The size of your love, uh, that in particular feels like a kind of go-between song, and it's just weird that Slater Kinney have this strange Australian relationship. Their first album was recorded in Melbourne, okay, uh, and their first drummer was actually Australian, and uh, I think effectively had to leave the band because it was like going back between Australia and America. Um, yeah, but, but Washington, like where that's where they they were hanging out with all the cool kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Portland, Oregon. Um, Portland, Oregon. Oh yeah, um, Portland, Oregon. But they recorded this one in Seattle. Didn't they? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's definitely where they sort of kind of. I don't think there's a lot of recording capacity in Portland in 1999. <laughs> but maybe I, I don't know. <laughs> so the Signs of Our Love is a really cool song. Like it's got it's got like a really softer start. Like a lot of their songs are really quite bracing. Those mm-hmm. like throw in there, especially at the start of the album. Like, oh, yeah. Bam, just right from the second. But this one's got bit of a softer start and almost like the guitar with the delay pedal effect on it as well like it sort of slowly builds up and then um, I found it quite reminiscent of the breeders as well like it was mm. sort of kind of mm. slightly off kilter lyrics like whereas most of the other ones were a bit more straightforward this one was like just a little bit little bit off kilter well see this is well. one of the few ones where I'm like oh that's what the narrative is yeah um, but it is kind of like quite brutal it was interesting I like today I was reading about uh, reading some of the reviews of it and one of them said uh, the sound of a dying relationship viewed through the lens of uh, hospital rooms and tumours. And I've always just interpreted it as kind of like um, your lover is dying in a hospital bed um, from tumours. And it's about the pain of that particular experience. But the idea of it being like we're locked in a room together and everything is slowly dying um, and we're not going anywhere. It just kind of completely tilts how you think of that song. But mm-hmm. it's easily like one of the most kind of devastating songs that they've got. And I think mm-hmm. it's more devastating because I don't think Corinne sings it. I think Carrie Brownstein sings it. Mm. And Corinne Tucker is notorious for this banshee wail. And there's a review very early on that says something along the lines of um, Carrie Brownstein was very lucky they didn't just call it the Corinne Tucker experience because on the early albums you just have Corinne Tucker just yeah. sledgehammering through. Yeah. 
Hi everyone, Liam here, just letting you know that at this point in the podcast, the recorder dropped out. Unfortunately, we didn't notice for another 15 minutes, so when we did, we had to go back and redo from where it dropped out. So the second half you're about to hear starts out a little bit disjointed, and the levels are different. We hope you still enjoy it, and thanks as always for listening. And now, on with the show. Grant, would you like to tell us any of the favourite songs that we haven't covered yet well, on the podcast? thank you for asking, Liam. I'd love to. <laughs> Let me go back to my spreadsheet slash list of uh, ticks and you double ticks. You have an adorable little notebook. It's so cute. Yes, I just wish I'd use the same one consistently. When I reviewed Bands Live, I um, had like 10,000 different notebooks. And often mm. they were like notebooks for uni as well. So yeah, exactly. Like halfway yep. through and then it would have all of this weird abstract shit written about like some band <laughs> that I'd seen. Because often it's like you back in like 2009, you didn't couldn't easily find what the song titles were or what the sets set lists were. And so you'd be writing down like, is this what the lyric was? Yes. Oh, um, yeah. It was the same. I was mostly live music <laughs> reviewing and it was always just like, I'm just going to scroll a lyric and yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. it's on their website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And then you're Googling it and then it, it turns out that they were saying something completely different yeah. and you're just like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so this one's got surfboard options. It's got some of Emma's stuff. Are you sure it's that's not my, about the album though? Because it's, it's very got my drugs. album. <laughs> <laughs> um, packing lists. Back to the album, um, Memorize Your Lines. And a quarter to three, the last two, I thought really finished strongly mm-hmm. and got the double tick of approval. Nice. Double tick. Um, yeah, so, oh, Memorize Your Lines. Oh, so that has lyrics and they are long, so... Heart-wrenching. Like, nah, I've was... been there. Like, you know when you've been at that impasse with another human being and then you're just like, oh, I just need to get into you. But, oh, this is painful. And mm. so, um, yeah, like, it was just that I've, hit me. I have a real thing for songs that are about, uh, I think, I think because I'm autistic, uh, I often, for a long time growing up, it was kind of like, is this what I actually feel or is this just what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. as part of kind of the dance of humanity and where does the line end in terms of like what I feel versus kind of civic social responsibility to others. And so I'm really drawn towards uh, and because, you know, a lot of times you look at people and it's like you said one thing and you did something completely different and I don't understand how those two things can coexist. <laughs> mm. And um you don't need to have autism. <laughs> but it makes it that. very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you have like a close to photographic memory where it's like, I've been in relationships where it's like, yeah, but three years ago, in February 7th, <laughs> you, <laughs> you said, said this, this. thing. Um, and then four, you know, th- one year ago you did this. So that was very inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm very drawn to like songs like Memorize Your Lines, which are pretty much kind of like, are we going through the motions or is mm-hmm. this sincere? And because yeah. there's like, there are others in the genre, like um, mm-hmm. Elton John's, I've seen that movie too. Um, and then there's also Taylor Swift's most recent one, which is Exile uh, with Bonnie Ver. And both of them have a central thing of like, 
I know where the movie's going, so I'm going to leave. Mm. And yeah, this song I think is a great contribution. Yes. <laughs> with a violin. Yes, well, one of the violin, one of the songs with the violin. Yes, which is really which is just like, sweet. So thank you for bringing it up, Granty. That's yeah. very good. There you go. And then you talked about quarter to three. Yes, as well. So the, that was when um, the free. guitar lines were really like it sounded like more like an indie band. Like, yeah, and it has that's the one that has the slide guitar from the producer on it. So yeah. it has that layer. and I think it has the harmonica from the drummer on the drummer. Yeah, um, yeah, which is a very interesting addition. It's a because yeah, we talked about how um, the whole record is supposed to be kind of this textured soundscapey approach, and I think that they do it in a way that is completely counter to how I think about such things, which is kind of a maximalist you add layer and layer and layer and all this instrumentation. Whereas instead they seem to kind of strategically throw one or two things into a song mm. that changes the entire vibe. And in that case, it's the harmonica, which really does like as an outro for the mm. album, just kind of end it on this very kind of beautiful pastoral vibe that isn't on any of the other songs. And it has more lyrics, which hit my feels. <laughs> I was hoping for a second there. You were just going to say, and it has more lyrics. It has more <laughs> lyrics in general. But there hits the feels, which are... is such a quarter to three in the morning feeling absolutely <laughs> like, like they've not called you back everything's hard you don't know what's going on you're at this impasse in your relationship and stuff and you're just saying maybe the real me is the one that's broken down into pieces and that and and i should just destroy myself and that would be better than waiting for you and hanging around and it was just like a really it's just great to end on a triumphant note you know, like the yeah. album just ends on it's like I've realized who I am, and it's, it's completely <laughs> admittedly, broken. admittedly, it's fucked, but now I know that. Yeah. yeah, so it's all falling apart. It's the end of the record. Sorry, <laughs> it's <laughs> really, it's really interesting to me to have these conversations because I am not a lyrics person, uh, most of the time. Everything for me is kind of structural, mm -hmm. uh, and often I won't notice lyrics until like 20 listens deep, and so. Even though I was like, I, the, as soon as you say them, I know the words, mm -hmm. but I've never thought about them at all, <laughs> aside from the fact of like, hmm, quarter to three, that's, that's late at night slash early in the morning. <laughs> I, <laughs> it sounds like that. And there's a guitar solo. There's not a guitar solo band, but there's a guitar no. solo. Yeah. Although there is an album where they have, I think, a four-minute guitar solo. <laughs> um, that, what? are they like a cock rock band now yeah. uh well that was the thing about like this is the the album was the woods and if you listen to this album and then listen to the woods it's incredibly jarring because the woods was essentially yeah produced by dave friedman um who is a kind of noise rock flaming lips sort of producer and it essentially is part of the motivation apparently was that retro rock and kind of all of that stuff was very big because it came out, I think, 2005. Uh, and so retro rock was really huge. You had bands like Jet uh, mm -hmm. and all of that sort of coming up. And Say, are you going to be my girl? That's right, which is essentially Iggy Pop's uh, Lust for Life with yes. new lyrics. <laughs> and um, 
And they essentially kind of were like, but you're not doing anything new with this. You're just kind of dressing up the past in this plastic sort of way. And they seemingly went into the studio with the idea of just like crushing every fake boy rock band in the world. And they very much accomplished. It's pretty much like Led Zeppelin came back when you listen to that album. And yeah, one of them has a four minute guitar solo, I think, just to kind of show them that they could do it. Because anyone who's tried to play like Slater Kinney songs knows that Carrie Brownstein is probably one of the best guitarists of the past. I know, I've tried so hard. Yeah, I've tried so (laughs) much. uh, And I can't. I can play some Laura Marling songs and that's pretty exciting, but I can't play Slater Kinney. And and I don't have another person to play with me either, so you don't... Yeah, it's not easy to kind of reduce it down to a single guitar song in a lot of things. No, you can't. I'm hoping that like I can really simplify it down to a ukulele. I can't play ukulele right now, but it feels much more achievable to play Slater Kinney songs on a ukulele. I've got a ukulele and a banjo. You can give them both a try. Uh, (laughs) There you go. Because they're of equal difficulty, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) The banjo is notoriously easy to approach. Yeah, I've attempted. (laughs) Fair enough. Did you have more songs, Granty? Um, Just the other one was was the relatively antagonistic God is number one Mm -hmm. that I thought um, was pretty cool as well. That is uh, cool. That's that's so like that wailing vocals in the chorus. I've just put is so sweet, kidding. Yeah. like <laughs> just so their mm. sound. Um, yes. So that's got the line. idea of like you're you're looking for something that's meaningful and you're looking for like a an, I guess an emotional answer and a meaningful answer that comes across and all you're getting is just numbers and spreadsheets and just technology all the time so it's sort of looking for something else mm-hmm. which is really cool I like that look. I actually wrote that lyric down myself nice. buddy so lyric really buddies mm-hmm. we are lyric buddies it's really good <laughs> but there's also like this deep break at one point um like two thirds of the way through the track where it's just noise noisy goodness and then it fades out into them chatting um which we yeah that's right um because it's uh yeah i heard that um again i'm not 100 percent sure it's true but it's in my brain somewhere and i can't tie it to anything else so i think it's true (laughs) uh is that that chatting is actually a sample of something Mm. and is an example of i think what i was talking about earlier in terms of the textures that they use are not overwhelming texture upon texture upon texture upon texture. They're actually just kind of snuck into the beginnings of the ends of songs. And mm-hmm. I think, I think actually this album is a really great showcase for Janet Weiss, the drummer, because she does a whole bunch of very specific things to change mm-hmm. the groove of songs or to change the character of songs as a percussionist, which is very unusual for like a rock band, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, the hot rock, is probably the best example where it has this kind of wood block through the middle of it, which yeah, is a very right? strange thing to put in like a punk I, band. I wrote yeah. wood block, wood block like percussion, like uh, yeah, and, and it's also slow and sultry. Which mm-hmm. is interesting because it's based on like the name and a lot of the lyrics come from a heist film from like the nineteen sixties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but what I. Before I knew that, I had read an interview where they were talking about the fact that it was a wedding ring and it was about the dissolve of a marriage, which is Mm -hmm. something throughout the album in terms of uh, the lyrics kind of can be multiple things at once. The End of You, which is one of my favourite songs, has 
the story of the Odyssey, but then actually there's a line in it where it's like, you'll be seduced by fame. Uh, tie me to tie me to the mast of this ship and this band. And it's actually the Odyssey through the lens of a punk band being successful. Cool. And it's a really kind of interesting sort of multi-layered sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, I think the size of our love could be, t- it, we talked about how it could be taken as either this hugely sort of romantic thing or this utterly toxic poisonous thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually talking about the hot rock, that makes more sense to me now because there's lyrics of um, how was I to know this rock was so fragile it cracked in my hands while I was holding on. So now that means that could be the relationship mm. itself was cracking with this hot rock. That Well, know, yeah, it's a, it was... The interview that I saw was that somebody said it was about returning a wedding ring. Oh, like it was about actually returning the hot rock. Returning the hot um, rock. And there's a line in it that I constantly think about. In it's one of those lines that kind of has sunk into my subconscious where I just kind of, it pops up in moments of trouble uh, where it's, it's not real. You don't get to tell me it's not real, uh, which is a really interesting sort of aspect that mm-hmm. of like at the demise of a relationship where it's kind of off you know sometimes people will erase the whole thing of like it was never what i thought it was and and then at the same time in terms of the metaphor of the rock of being fake and you know given that it was based on a heist film which i have not seen uh it's um the idea of it being fake and that has another layer to it but also the literal sort of thing of giving someone a fake diamond for a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so. or, or maybe if it's a hot rock, it's a stolen one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what I reckon. Blood diamond. Blood, blood diamond. Yeah, that's cool. There. All right, so we're about to head into the wrap up. Did anyone have any last things they wanted to? Um, I, I know George's got like five more pages, but I do have a couple of highlights. I have three. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to say that there was a really fun, wiggly, dancey ditty of band from the end of the world, which mm-hmm. is only two minutes nine. Um, and that is layered vocal party with loads of fun guitars, um, a slow middle eight with a, um, the vocals come in with a hot go back, uh, which I like. But then it has at the end band from the end of the world we are the band from the end of the world and i was like yep i like that one so it's just (laughs) like a really like in your face kind of staking their claim kind of lyric which is really cool and also ties into the weird apocalyptic vibe that is just underneath the album in terms of god is a number was about y2k and band from the end of the world end of the world sort of thing and it's just it's kind of like, oh, the end of the world used to be so cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, there was an abstract sense of like, oh, maybe all the computers will explode and we'll all die and stuff, but I can't really internalize that. Whereas now it's like, you can definitely sort of see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all okay because my partner is a programmer and he went and like, he was flown to the UK to go and work on stuff. It's like really important stuff to make sure that... Yeah, that's something that's come out over the conversation of the COVID sort of stuff is... The conversation of it will be, uh, people will get to the end of it and be like, oh, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as they said they were going to be. And it's like, well, that's because we did everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people use the example of like Y2K where yeah. it was like, oh, that was such a fizzer. And it's like, yes, because we did a bunch we of stuff. <laughs> we 
you, we use the power can, of the nerd. I confirm I was working in the IT industry in 98 and 99. I can confirm a lot of shit was done. The idea that it was just a fake thing and everyone just sat back and went, yeah, <laughs> no, it'll fix itself is preposterous. Yes, <laughs> it is preposterous. That's fair enough. Awesome. Okay, well... Um, yeah, the only other thing was Ben don't freeze is just a party tune. So yeah. if I'm if I'm going to an alt club like a like a punk rock club or whatever, and there's like seven of us on the dance floor, it's definitely to this song, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll totally enjoy it. So uh, it's so, got and it's the one where I've written a fucking great chorus of power. <laughs> so like, if you're gonna have a chorus, make it. Make it meaningful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so make it a fucking great chorus. Make it, a, yeah, make it, and that's in my notes. So uh, if it's in my notes, it's real, and I have that real sweet line which I want all of you to do to me at some point, which is looking at me like I'm the hottest in town. Nice. See, and I actually objectify me, babies, <laughs> for um, or you know, set you on fire. Um, <laughs> that would depends be on how you interpret it. Yeah. But um, but yeah, actually, for my birthday, I launched an album on the same day as my birthday, and um, for the album launch, I because it was my birthday, I took over the venue and I took over the playlist, and it was essentially like every Slater Kinney song, and then a whole bunch of other uh, women yelling over guitars bands, nice. and it was which was completely discontinuous with the music on the album, which was much kind of hip hop rave uh, dance music sort of <laughs> stuff. And then the two other artists were like two of my favorite DJs around town. Cool. Um, so it was like you'd kind of have these DJs playing and then you would have something like Burn Don't Freeze would come on and then something yeah. like Garbage and then something like uh, Pretty Girls Make Graves, which was yes! on my shortlist for this oh, one. Oh, All um, Billy yeah. Geniuses, one of the yeah. best songs. Um, um, yeah, I, yeah. again, we are going to leave as friends. <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to think that we entered as friends. Yeah. But well, we, en- we entered as friends. <laughs> Crystallized. But, but we had many reels. Um, and so I'm literally going to point out the uh, records that I've got in my collection and be like, you need to listen to this and after, <laughs> as soon as we finish this podcast. So is it final? Um, Grant, did you have anything else you wanted to touch no, on before we oh, go? Good. I just had one quote from Carrie, which I found, which I really, really loved. Um she says, I like songs that anyone can see themselves in. I love that we have a lot of queer fans, trans fans, and non-binary fans. We always have, so I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. We only wanted people to feel seen and heard by our music, so I think that's more important to me than hitting the nail on the head too hard. So that was when someone asked her about her gender and sexuality, and I was, she was just like, don't, that's not important. It's just mm. important that I want everyone else to feel seen and heard, which I thought was really great. There's also an interesting kind of political, well, like a historical context to that in that, the relationship at one point, Carrie Brownstein and Corinne Tucker dated, and um, Spin Magazine actually outed that relationship. And Carrie Brownstein hadn't actually told her parents that she yeah. was bisexual. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a thing of like, I think anyone who asks Slater Kinney about their sexuality uh, at this point is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like it's like, come on, guys, let's talk about. And it's a constant frustration with me in terms of the coverage of them, where it's like. The discussion is about what they are as opposed to what they do. Mm-hmm. And what they do is super remarkable. What they are is remarkable, but it's not much you can do with the conversation. Yeah. And generally, because I love reading about bands that I'm obsessed with. I'm very much obsessed with this band. Um, but every time I go looking for articles on them, I find an article written by a dude that just says something profoundly stupid or weird. <laughs> like there was like an interview with them for their 2019 album, and it opens with, 
this kind of uh, kind of weighing in on the song, uh, a song from Dig Me Out, like 1997, and it says, at the start she says, damn you, and then just before the song takes off she says, damn you, as if rejecting uh, decades of women's mouths being (laughs) characterised as sex objects or objects of subservience. And I was like, what the fuck are you on? <laughs> and why are you talking about it in this one? <laughs> like, it's from 1997. And it's like, it's it's not as progressive as you think, saying like, wow, she said damn. And I just thought maybe maybe women's mouths aren't for fucking. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. Oh, it drives oh. me insane. Every time I look up, there's a, they have a song called I, uh, I Want to Be Your Joy Ramon. Which is essentially about yeah, like, they do. Yeah, which is this amazing song. Which is essentially, I want to be a rock idol. I want to be like the the badass. I want to be your Thurston Moore. And then um, I want to be the poster on your wall. And then there was this whole article about this guy, how much he loved them. It was quite a famous music journalist. I think it was Rob Sheffield. And um, he said something along the lines of like, uh, the cheeky sex anthem. Um, I want to be your Joey Ramone because has a line of like rolling around on your bedroom floor. I want to be your joy. And it's like, what about the rest of the song, you <laughs> jackass? Like, 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 that's what you take for that cheeky sex anthem about the entire kind of reversal of sort of male stereotypes as applied to her. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Cool. Let's wrap up. Yes. Well, <laughs> as part of speaking of the wrap up, over to you, MJ, for a final pitch. Why is Slater Kinney, this album, flawless? Ah, oh, fuck. I really should have thought about that, huh? Uh, <laughs> been so caught up on You've the story. You've been thinking about it for quite some time. You think so, but <laughs> I just kind of decided it was and then I just left yeah. it. Um, no, I think in terms of the... And there are many different definitions of flawless. I think in terms of, if you look at it in the idea of a unique sounding record that is of consistent high quality, then it fits that metric but in terms of a i think of the idea of flawless of uh the best possible expression of something that could not be replicated mm-hmm. uh and in terms of kind of slater kinney's characteristics even though this stands apart superficially aesthetically from the rest of their catalog i think it embodies the things that unite their catalog more strongly and more kind of clearly than any other and because no other, as we kind of noted, there's no other band that sounds like Slater Kinney, then that is kind of the contention for me of like Flawless, is that it is the perfect representation of this incredibly unique chemistry and this incredibly unique sound. And so that would be my contention as to why it is without flaw, as it were. Awesome. Good pitch. Yeah. No, no, good. I'm good at talking. off the top of your head as yeah. well. We always write ours down yeah. as our final pitches. That's really, really <laughs> good. Do. I do. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> Grant. Yes. Final thoughts and a thumbs up or a thumbs down, please. Look, I struggled with this up front, I'll be honest. So, Virgin Ears, never heard it. There's a lot of angst in here. I thought there's a lot of screaming, there's a lot of vocals, a lot of high-end stuff and I'm like yeah I think those are great too (laughs) yeah and I'm like I'm like whoa man and and you reference stuff like classical um song making and I'm like geez I don't know if I'd agree with all of that sort of stuff um but the elements of it that did grow on me and and I did I've got to accept that most times when I listen to an album I won't like it okay so this one was a slower burn um would I put this on in and of itself no 
Um, probably lost me for mine. I thought "Living in Exile," which I think we spoke about, was probably the song that I thought was that got my ex. And mm -hmm. I wrote in here too much wailing. Uh, <laughs> again, personal perspective, and that's yep. just just me. I'm going to say no for that. I think the the other ones, I, I I didn't have anything that I particularly didn't like, or was like you know this is too much, but. Um, there were a lot of double ticks, but I think for mine as a complete album and to call it flawless, um, acknowledging that it's outside my genre, etc. Um, living in exile, which I know other people really enjoyed, <laughs> I'm going to say no. But well, see, the thing is, is like when I first listened to it and when I first listened to Slater Kinney, I got nothing, you know? So it's like, I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> um, of like the first and the wailing and the kind of angst and the stuff like that, where it was just like, I just looked at it and it's like, this just seems like a big pile of stuff and I have no idea how to look at the pile of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I totally get where you're coming from. But hopefully at some point it'll kind of click in the same way. But if it doesn't, it's like... That's okay too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I said, it's like I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. George. Final thoughts and a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Final please. thoughts. Okay, so we have 41 minutes and mm. 40 seconds for a punk record, let's say. Um, and we are going at 13 tracks. This is a push. This is a push <laughs> for a punk record. should be 31 minutes and should be 10 <laughs> tracks. Uh, that, that's how it should be. However, yeah, there, there is a law. Um, I have a whole, unwritten or otherwise. An unwritten, yeah, of course not. This is all bullshit. This is just me. Um, so um, I almost actually came up with an album. Like one of when you asked for the perfect albums, I almost picked one, and then I was like, it's got seven tracks, and I just think seven tracks is the wrong number for an nah, album. Liam, oh. call it an EP. So um, and that's a whole other story that's too. A whole other story. <laughs> seven so, tracks can be um, an album. Yeah. So from I've heard this before. So when I heard Sleet Kinney talking about i was 17 i'm queer i'm into punk but it's really like um male focused punk and i've heard bands like hole and garbage and l7 and stuff mm. which is awesome so i'm like i've got those in in my pocket and then someone's gone like yeah but have you actually gone down the right girl route and i'm gone probably not so um when i first listened to um, this album I was like, it's not heavy enough for me. It's like, I need it to be more aggressive. I need it to be more in your face and a bit more heavy. But um, that's not what it's about. This is not what this album's trying to do. It's not trying to go, I'm a shouty punk band. And it's not trying to be, I'm a sweet, like, trick you into feminism band either. Um, it is exactly what it's supposed to be, which is a complex musician, um, like, group coming together creating something really beautiful from start to finish and making tracks that i want to listen to again and again and again because it is of course for me a flawless album as most of their albums are <laughs> in oh. my opinion um but this one yeah it is it's not the go-to for me called the doctor is the go-to for me it's a really good album going into the hot rock yeah going into the hot rock it is it is different it does sound different but hell of a fucking good album so it from start to finish there's nothing i would miss so it's uh it's a flawless from me cool so which is when we, we hand over to liam yeah mm. so 
Yeah, I I knew of Slater Kinney. I I like if you play me a song and go, I would go, yeah, that's a Slater Kinney song. You can recognize that they've got that unique style and that new, like almost like a unique vocal delivery as well. Even if it's not shouting or caterwauling, it's still you can just feel it. But I'd never really dived into what that actually meant. I was like, yeah, I know that Slater Kinney song, but I didn't know what that sound was. And so looking up the research for this album, I was like, okay. I didn't even realize they didn't have a bass. I just assumed one of them played bass, even from watching them live, because I must have been so far back that I couldn't actually see <laughs> what they were doing. So, yeah, I must have gone, oh, yeah, it's one bass, one guitar. Wait a sec. That, yeah. that bass has six strings. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. I've been fooled. <laughs> you metal. So, yeah, so then sort of looking it up and really listening to it, I'm like, okay, so the, the Slater Kinney sound is the two of them singing at the same time and the two of them playing the guitar parts at the same time. Which it was, I like that, that's cool. But when I was listening to the album, there were some songs that were that plus a little bit more. So it might be like plus a slide or plus a, like a delayed intro or something else. And I found that I liked those songs more. And it meant that when a song was, and I'm going to put quote marks out for everybody, just <laughs> their sound, the, four, the two of them doing their thing, I was like hoping it would be something more. And I found I didn't. I feel we shouldn't. Uh... We shouldn't understate the contribution of Janet Weiss, no, the drummer. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, so the, the sound of all three of them, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. is like it. <laughs> when it was them doing their signature, once again, quote marks, just their signature thing, I knew they could do more because I, there were other songs on the album that had that plus a little bit more. And mm. so I felt like some of the songs were a bit lacking in that space. So for me, I really love the album and it's, it blows my mind that they're this iconic band that is massively influential but nobody sounds like them. So Ladies, get out there, start making more bands that sound like Slater Kinney and we'll we'll promote them and promote <laughs> the hell out of them, that'll be awesome. But I couldn't say it was flawless. I'm planning on forming a punk band at some point. That would it's be awesome. Been, it's been for like it's been a goal for a while. I have to finish learning skateboarding and then um uh I'm gonna learn how to play guitar. George's George will teach you how to play guitar and be in a punk band with you. I can teach you how to skateboard. She keep, oh, really? Not good she keeps you. asking us to be in a punk band, so she'll definitely be in a punk band with you. That's right. With someone who do- actually knows what they're doing. Well, I don't cool. know what I'm doing. That's why I'm in a punk band. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, unfortunately, we couldn't quite get They got the one for us, but couldn't quite get it for all three of us. But thank you very much for nominating the album. Because and you're men. We are men. Oh. That, is <laughs> <laughs> that is completely Oppression. Yeah, look, it's a fact, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. But, yes, thank you for nominating and bringing it along, and you were excellent guests. So that was really awesome. We want to thank everybody for listening. We have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we are Flawless AMP on all of those. So you can join the conversation, share or like our posts, and give us a rating. Every little bit helps us find more music lovers like you. As mentioned, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash flawlessamp. And if you'd like to back us, please check that out. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.